Welcome back to another episode of We Built It That Way. I'm Jordan. And I'm AJ. Today we are kicking off the first of a new series that we're calling Extra Credit. Yeah. So the idea for these is with each one of these episodes, we're going to take a reading or maybe a film or something we listen to to discuss some of our takeaways as they relate to what this podcast is all about, which is getting a better understanding of how we shape the world around us and how it comes to shape us. So, you know, in our typical episodes, we'll often pull from dozens of sources to help us round out our discussion. I have a vast variety of sources. But we also thought it would be fun to sometimes just sit down with one piece or maybe a pairing that made an impression on us or focuses the conversation in a way that we think will be interesting. Sometimes that might come from a point of view we agree with, sometimes not. It's going to be kind of like, you know, on Family Guy with Peter Griffin, you know, what really grinds my gears is it's going to be (laughs) something like that sometimes. You know, that really grinds my gears. Yeah. So that's that's the idea here. We're going to be alternating these with our normal episodes, and um, hopefully this should allow us to put out more stuff for your ears. So for our inaugural extra credit episode, we have got a topic that nicely complements and an article that nicely complements our recent episodes on congestion and induced traffic. Check them out if you haven't yet. Today, we're going to be talking about an article that appeared in Texas Observer last year, 2021, called What If the State Department of Transportation Tore Down Texas Highways? And that is the saucy headline Uh, for what's actually a pretty good and nuanced article about a battle brewing in the Lone Star State between the state's leadership, which has stood firm on the ground that money must be spent on urban highway expansions to alleviate the supervillain called congestion, and a growing number of people advocating that not only should we not keep building more highway lanes, that we should start tearing down urban highways altogether. Yeah, let's also give a shout out to Megan Kimball, who wrote this piece. Mm -hmm. I thought it was excellent, very well researched, very well presented. It's it's a beefy piece. There's a lot to digest. And I thought she did a great job of presenting it in a way that's very readable. I thought it was good. I thought it could have been a great series of articles Mm -hmm. and or turn into a book, I'm sure. There's a lot to pick through here. Let's just get into some of our takeaways. AJ, what stood out to you in this article? I'll start with one thing that resonated with me, especially living in a area that's very still rural and in character. I hear this a lot. And so to see it expressed in the article made me go, yeah, exactly. That's what I've been talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's that public transit and public transportation in Texas is equated with socialist tendencies, whereas highways are associated with free market capitalism, just you know, mm-hmm. good all American red, white, and blue stuff. It was interesting because it does mirror very closely the same type of bias that we see emerge in a lot of the single family zoning and housing discussions that we're having around the country, this realization that we, we talk about all people But there are certain groups of people that we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we're certainly more concerned about um, or this juxtaposition of of public transit kind of squaring off with highways is the result of 
I like the way that she kind of laid that out there. Yeah, she wrote, the idea that public transit is for socialists and that highways enable free market capitalism pervade the state's politics. Amen. I couldn't have said it better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she continues to show in the article how that bias carries over into the daily work of our legislature, Mm -hmm. the spending decisions that are made, Texas being one of the few states that has absolutely zero dedicated funding for public transportation. And so it also harkens back to some of our earlier episodes where we were talking about the notion of driving versus walking. And driving is this all-American, true blue, you're free, American eagles soaring over the flag. Like, that's what the car is and the highway uh-huh. and everything about Plus it. transportation. Yeah. That's what transportation is. Yeah. And then there's those people, right, uh-huh. that, you know, clearly this is socialism because you're trying to make uh-huh. us care about those people and the way that they get around. So, I think that I read in this piece that 97% of the state's $15 billion or text dots, that's Texas... Department of Transportation's $15 billion, 97% of that goes to roadways. And is required by state law to do so. Yeah, required to do so. Yeah. What about you? What kind of stuck out to you from the top? You know, something that we, I think we should mention, because we were talking about this right before we started recording, was the sort of saucy headline that talked about tearing down highways and how Mm -hmm. just absurd that might sound on its face. I think without the modifier urban like urban highways. Maybe we should talk for a second about the distinction between an urban highway and the like overall function of having a highway network connecting the country. Because you were talking about how you live in a much more rural part of the country where the notion of not having highways is It's nonsensical. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because there's just no way you're going to get from here to there otherwise. So- this article doesn't touch on that per se, but I know that's something that we might have an interest in talking about in the future. So if you're listening to us, we're, you know, we're not advocating for the complete removal of every segment of every highway across the United States in perpetuity. We're, we're really focusing today, as this story does, on what it does to urban neighborhoods, places, and people. Yeah, it's understanding that it's a you know it's a t- it's a tool that has a purpose that is quickly conveying automobile traffic, or, you know, trucks carrying goods from one place one place to another. That really makes sense, and to use highways for that purpose, and highways were originally envisioned with that that being the purpose, um, and then it shortly morphed into highways cutting through you know existing cities with existing vibrant neighborhoods. And yeah, we should just, maybe we'll just say right now, one of the things highlighted in in this article, you're not going to do that without destruction, right? Running a highway requires a really big right of way. It requires the geometry to get cars going 70 miles per hour. You're going to have to clear a lot of of land. And they found that to be a very good opportunity to target black and Hispanic neighborhoods in large part in most large cities in America, even mid-sized cities cities. It's not just speculation either. They don't really go into this too much in the article, but that this was seen as a not a bug. It was like a feature. Actually, they do talk specifically about how it was employed in Austin to cut off central Austin from the um, what they referred to as the Negro district. And using the highway was a, a very nice, easy way to cut off access. But to get back to the point, the difference between 
connecting two places with a, a fast route with limited access and trying to do that cutting through a city, I think it starts to become clear that it's working at cross purposes. And that's what the advocates in, the, in this piece routinely are talking about. Another thing that I thought was very interesting was um, I had heard this before when I worked for cities in transportation planning circles. Uh She shares a quote from DeWitt Greer, who was the head of what used to be called the Texas Highway Department, now another name, but very similar approach. Uh And in 1967, (laughs) um, upon his retirement, He said, quote, it would take a generation to break Texans of the comfortable and convenient habit of riding in the automobile. If we are to please the taxpayers, then we must develop more adequate thoroughfares in the urban areas, end quote. Mm -hmm. I had several questions after I read this quote. Like, first of all, comfortable and convenient, he says, is the habit of riding in the automobile. Well, comfortable and convenient for who, first of all? I don't hear many commuters talking about how comfortable and convenient their commutes are. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Secondly, he says it would take a generation to break Texans of this. And 1967 was how many generations ago? You know what? Let's say it takes three generations. It'd still be worth it. Mm -hmm. It's just interesting because now we could be in a very different place. Yeah. My third question is, you know, Who are these taxpayers you refer to? And why is it that we're using an all-inclusive term, but we're very clearly saying that only some of those taxpayers actually matter? Well, there's long been this idea that there's a certain percentage of the country that's just moochers. You know, when it really comes down to it, they don't really deserve to have a voice and a vote. And it's kind of unfortunate that we have to pretend that their voice matters. This is kind of the same thing. It is. It's a lot of just elite projection, Mm -hmm. right? Whatever the problem is that I face or whatever the series of inconveniences that stand out in in the way I go about my daily routine, those are the important problems to solve. Well, and she goes on the article to share statistics that let us know that it's not a minority of taxpayers in the state of Texas who are interested in a different way. So if we're really worried about pleasing... Yeah. Pleasing Mm -hmm. taxpayers. I don't know. Maybe we listen to them, you know. And then the last question I had after reading this was, you know, he says uh, adequate thoroughfares in urban Uh areas. Well, adequate for who? I think it's probably adequate just for people that are passing through in their vehicle because it's Uh clearly not a standard of adequate for the people that live there and own property there and made their home there and work there, so on and so forth. This is like in the heyday of like... You could sort of trick yourself more than maybe than than now that this is the way to move. This is how I think you might have even been able to trick yourself into saying like this is going to this rising tide is going to lift all boats and we're all going to it's going to be easier for everyone to get around. It's more comfortable. You don't have to share space with someone else. You can go where you want, when you want. This, you know, contributed to that divide being more and more stark, right? Public transit as a as a result of these decisions became less and less viable because the routes were more and more cut off. The highways not just made it possible to develop in further and further flung areas, but they cut through neighborhoods, destroyed homes and churches and schools, and physically made neighborhoods further from one another. Right. But we got to talk for a second about this. Cars aren't going anywhere. People won't give up their 
driving argument because mm-hmm. it's just such bullshit. Don't bullshit me. It's not even an argument. There's not like a thesis put out there and, a, and, and like a series of bullet points of like, here's why, here's why. It's just, I'm not into public transit. Right. What I don't like is predictions that are just like, oh, this is going to happen. I think this is going to keep being a thing. Right. Uh, that's not actionable. It's like confirmation bias. Yeah. I'm just yeah. looking for people that validate my point. <laughs> yeah. I've found often that when, and I'm about to do it right now, when people <laughs> use the word people, uh huh, a lot of times who they really mean is I. I'm not going to give this up. I'm not going mm-hmm. to choose differently. I'm not interested in that. But it sure sounds a lot better. And we don't really have to own it if we mm-hmm. just say that people don't want that stuff. Uh-huh. The whole people won't give up their driving argument. That's a question of policy. You've left out the beginning part of that sentence. Like if we continue to build, a really like rebuild in a way that makes it impossible for people to walk, doesn't fund public transit, makes it so uncomfortable to participate and impossible almost to participate in a full life without the use of the automobile. Yeah. Selective phrasing leads to a very simple mathematical equation. It does. And, you know, it's again, somewhat akin to what we see in housing circles where people Mm -hmm. say, well, the market, which is those people, right? The market wants single family. It's like you're not giving them any other options. How could they want something more? Well, the same here. Most people drive, you know, and how do they, what are their options? We confuse only having one option for demand. Yes. Don't you think? Exactly. So this article kind of touches on a few different things. One is the impact of urban highways historically and and currently. Another is the stance of the Department of Transportation, the funding that goes into building roads and highways almost exclusively. And then there's this push for saying we need to remove these highways. Why don't we just talk about some of the like arguments that come up against having urban highways? What stood out to you from this article? Well, I think the writer does an excellent job of laying out a pretty broad spectrum of arguments. So, mm-hmm. and the bottom line is we continue spending the way that we do on highways, despite this laundry list of, of things such uh-huh. as the fact that other types of transportation are proven to be more efficient, more sustainable and safer for people. That argument seemingly doesn't carry much weight, mm-hmm. you know, despite the argument that, and we've already touched on this in our last few episodes that Widening highways does not lessen congestion, despite really compelling evidence to to the effect that that's been debunked. (laughs) That's the one thing they have, by the way. (laughs) It's like the one argument. Right. You know, she also lays out that a majority of Texans prefer funding on things that are quality of life related, including public transportation. Mm -hmm. So those taxpayers that we keep saying we're trying to please seem to be very clearly saying one thing, and it's not Oops. the thing that we keep doing. Sometimes they don't know what's best for them. That's what it is. You know, there's plenty of research that shows that emissions are increased by the distance you drive. 
mm-hmm. more than they are sitting in traffic. So widening those highways to break th- free of that congestion and for you to be able to drive as fast as you like, unfettered, not really going to help from an environmental standpoint. Public transit, again, is infinitely safer and accommodating to people of different abilities. When you say safer, by the way, I think when people use like public safety or just safety to refer to their neighborhood or streets or whatever, I think my mind goes to one place and I think that might be different than what's common. Like, let's talk about transit. Like, oh, am I going to feel safe sitting on the train next to somebody who I don't know Mm -hmm. or somebody who who could be up to no good, which is not something to discount, right? Especially for women moving through the city and experiencing life in a more vulnerable state than many men ever have to think about. Like those are real concerns that we Mm -hmm. should talk about. And some of that definitely has to do with funding and not stigmatizing public transit right. in the first place. But we're talking about safety from the standpoint of, is your commute your best chance to die today? Yeah, exactly. Some other things she includes in the articles is, you know, kind of evidence that this is not the only way. Includes the pretty important reveal that The population projections to justify the highway widening and Mm -hmm. expansion were found to be faulty, not done at all in the way that population projections are and should be done. Also leading to if you're not, you know, if, if you're one of those people that really isn't swayed by a people and community argument, even the money argument, because another consultant came in and, and said, we too are concerned about these figures, essentially, and this would constitute huge overspending on the project that isn't necessary. And anyway, then she she also shares a, a, a story in California where an earthquake damaged fatally part of a highway system and uh-huh. people in the top positions of government sat around and chit-chatted and argued and debated, what are we going to do to come back from this? Everybody else was getting on with their damn lives and just getting where they needed to go in a different way because people are pretty resilient and adaptive when they need to be. Yeah. One of the things that stood out to me from this article, um, and we mentioned that highway teardown in a previous episode, she points out that the idea of highway removal itself has been around almost as long as the existence of highways. Yep. And that this, the Embarcadero Freeway in um, San Francisco, it was built in the 50s. And in 1959, thousands of people organized to basically say, we don't like that you're demolishing our homes, forcing uprooting and relocation of families. And like, there was already a movement to say no more. And they actually, I think, um, stopped further construction. Even in the mid 80s, um, local leaders were saying, we should tear this down. Voters rejected the proposal. This article says convinced that it would cause gridlock. So kind of ironic that then the earthquake did the dirty work. Mm -hmm. And like you're saying, people didn't seem to really be that bothered by it. Yeah, that kind of ties back to what we were saying earlier about choices. You know, what what were the choices when that happened? The choices uh-huh. were stay paralyzed in one place and never go anywhere uh-huh. or find another way to get to work and get home and do all of these things. So it's amazing how the choices that we 
actually have, not the ones that are artificially created for us, <laughs> can yeah. actually alter our behavior in ways that are are not the end of the world. Not the end of the world. And I think this type of story highlights that humans are far more resilient than um, the people pushing the highway narrative and the traffic projections would like to admit. And like this whole, well, there's going to be car apocalypse or whatever, like mm -hmm. people aren't going to know what to do. They're not going to discover that you could just take another street and that there are many streets out there. <laughs> right. Um, right. And it's like, actually, we figure stuff out and, and we just respond to the environment that we're given. And sometimes exactly. we are given really crappy choices and we have to make a crappy choice. That's what kind of we're trying to say is like, maybe offer some good choices. Yeah. Legitimate, real choices instead of two bad options. Right. Exactly. You want to talk about population projections for a moment? Let's do it because you really get the sense that like, kind of like we were talking about in the second of our traffic congestion episodes, like uh, the answers always kind of seem to be the same. The traffic projections are brought in so that we can, we want to approach the situation with facts and figures. We want to know what we're getting ourselves into. And they always say, build more highways. They always say, widen them through the city. It's very important. And you will have disaster if you don't. Well, and we could have a whole nother discussion on data interpretation. Uh -huh. But this is a, you know, red flag of, of how you can have the best data and data collection measures and everything in the uh -huh. world, but the there's a responsibility for interpreting that data that's also a huge responsibility. You know, in this instance, we're talking about population projections that, again, signal, I think she shared in Austin, it was going to be quadrupling the population in a short period uh -huh. of time. Uh -huh. Interesting that the way we interpret that is not to say, even if those projections were absolutely spot on and correct, we don't look at that number and then say, okay, and now let's think about of that huge population, how many people will use this mode of transportation yeah. and how many people, how do we need to plan for those populations? Well, no, we're just saying they're all going to get in their car and get on the highway. Yeah. But that, that says a lot about us as, as humans. This is why I think we need to have a better understanding of systems thinking, like the world works in systems. If we keep hyper-focusing on one variable in the system, and that's our only knob that we can turn, more and less lanes, that's, that's just like kind of a silly way to handle what's a much more complex problem. Right. She mentions later in the article when she's talking about Patrick Kennedy and some of the work that he's done there in Dallas, trying to tell the story to people that are decision makers. Mm -hmm. In economic terms. Um, in economic terms. In fact, she says, uh, she writes, the financial pitch was the Trojan horse for other harder to quantify benefits, he says, equity, environment, quality of life. So it's either that those things are hard to quantify so we get distracted by the things that are easy to quantify, like mm -hmm. population projections and highway widths, or is it just that we don't care about quality of life? Mm -hmm. Because how sad that that has to be Trojan horse, does it were, <sighs> into the conversation. Right. And this is what cities are doing every day. They're trying to find ways to make the quality of life 
questions actually mean something mm-hmm. to legislators. And guess what? A lot more people, uh, I'm just going to go out here and say it, care about quality of life. Like they care about the quality of the air they're breathing. They care about not walking outside and having 85, 90 decibels of sound continually blasting in their eardrums, which by the way, that's life next to an urban highway. The closer you get to the highway, the worse quality of life is. The value of those neighborhoods just plummets. It's presented right as an economic development generator. Right. Let's just say from a hyper, from a local perspective, from the neighborhoods that those run through, it's a definite disaster. I think even the more you zoom out, it continues to be a pretty pretty bad deal. Agreed. And you make a good point. It's not just where the spaces that the highway takes up itself. It's also everything that touches it. It's everything within hearing range. It's everything within walking distance. It's, it has long and far reaching impacts on everyone in those areas that the rest of us have the luxury to ignore when we're zooming by at 75, 80 miles an hour. Yeah, there was another article that came out within the past week in The Guardian that has gotten shared a lot. And it's sort of an article about the same thing. It's it's about people fighting highways in large Texas cities. They talk about a school in Houston that's going to be on the front line of where the highway is expanding. And there's a couple nuggets, one of which is about eight crossing guards are deployed to help protect the children who have to traverse the highways to get to and from Bruce Elementary, but the fence of the school still has to be repaired several times a year due to cars crashing into it. Oh, my God. So let's just say the congestion was solved and the economic development was spurred. Is this the place we want our kids to go to school? Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that economic development and you know prosperity and phrases like that don't really mean much when we know that people that are part of our community we're, we're placing in those situations. Mm-hmm. How is that a prosperous community? You know, that's a value statement. That's people are going to have their different interpretations on what that means. Yeah. But it's very easy to kind of, you know, wave the hand and kind of brush away quality of life arguments when you're in a segment of the population that can afford to buy that quality of life for your own family. Mm -hmm. You just get to reframe quality of life as whatever justifies what you're trying to do, right? Yeah. Well, and the other interesting thing, again, about human nature and the way we phrase things, you know, when we're talking about things like economic development and prosperity, Uh and we tend to present those type of ideas couched in this way where we even, you know, sometimes directly and other ha- ways, just kind of backhandedly infer to people that we all have to give a little to cash in on this big thing together. Yeah. When some mm-hmm. of us are giving a little, but some of us are giving up everything. That's an ironic statement going back to the whole anything that gets me out of my car is socialist. Mm-hmm. It's ironic that we like selectively, we say, well, yeah, it may suck if you're right next to a highway. It may suck if your kids are breathing unhealthy air. It may suck if it's dangerously loud and it could cause hearing loss just to exist in your neighborhood. It That yes. may suck, but we got to all kind of suck it up because this is like a gener... What, you, don't want, you don't want congestion, do you? Right. 
You don't want the economy to suffer, do you? Be a good soldier. <laughs> <laughs> Be a good soldier. So it's ironically this like collectivist language. I mean, they're good at doing this, right? Yeah. I don't think there's any other takeaway from looking at, we're just talking about Texas Department of Transportation here, but I think a lot of them function this way. I don't think there's any other takeaway than that, like, this is the way we've been doing things for a long time. We're building more highways. That's sort of like the gravy train is there for the companies that engineer and build them. Why rock the boat and change that? Let's just keep it going. It's apparently lucrative for the right number of people who are well-connected. I don't know what what other takeaway to take because even a lot of cities are getting on board. Elected officials in leadership positions are saying like, Mm -hmm. hey, State Department of Transportation, we're not cool with just highways crisscrossing our cities and and growing. Yeah. It was refreshing to see a couple of quotes that were included in the article from TxDOT officials saying, Mm -hmm. you know, we're not here to move cars. That's not our primary purpose. And that was a Dallas. We need a lot more of that. Yeah. That was uh, the district engineer Uh for Dallas um, uh, under TxDOT. So, I mean, There's some recognition of this happening, but we're so far from where we should be, especially in this day and age. That really requires a different way of of having conversations about these projects. And, you know, we could argue the merits all day long of do highways bring in those dollars to communities? Mm -hmm. I'm not really interested in having that argument. There's plenty of other people out there fighting that battle. But I mean... At just a very basic logical level, just asking ourselves things like, you know, who benefits from highway projects and who benefits from public transit projects, who benefits from walkability initiatives? Right. Uh, Well, I want to get to like the teardowns themselves here Mm -hmm. in a second. But while we were kind of just talking about language deployed by um, Texas Department of Transportation, here's a quote from a Texas DOT spokesperson from that Guardian article that came out in the the past week, Mm -hmm. sort of responding to there was a highway expansion um, project in Houston, different from the Katy expansion we talked about in a previous episode. Uh, They said that Houston would have been in far worse shape if the Katy Freeway wasn't built a decade before. It's even just from the congestion metric in far worse shape. So here's a here's a quote. Texas DOT has implemented an unprecedented effort to listen, be responsive and inclusive to delivering transportation solutions for this corridor that would prove to be least invasive, unifying and contemplative of building a project that will improve safety, operations, enhance quality of life, and be a catalyst of economic development and promote livable and enjoyable places and spaces for all. I mean, they just do a Google search on what's the latest language people are using to talk about cities, and they're like, the highway's going to do that. Right. If this is the spokesperson for the agency that is supposed to serve the citizens of its state, how are you supposed to come away from that thinking anything but cynical thoughts? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're doing themselves no favors with statements uh, like that. <laughs> yeah. What stood out to you in the like discussion of the teardowns themselves, the mechanics of it, the discussions happening around like, what if we decide to do it? What then? Yeah. One of the best things that the article did was make the point that simply removing them uh-huh. is not enough. 
that's that's step one. That is not let's pat ourselves on the back. Man, we've really overcome and conquered this issue. No, 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 no. That is step one. Because then you have to think about, I mean, if you care about people at all, you have to think about, okay, how do you, first of all, confront the losses that have been told up over decades and decades by the presence of this highway and the way that it's affected everyone in its wake. And there are logistical issues that prevent that being fairly simple and straightforward as well. For example, taking the land where those highways once stood and reverting that to the people in that neighborhood or that sector of the city to essentially reclaim as their own Uh um, and do something with. Well, there are a lot of hurdles to overcome because of the legalities of the way that that land has to be transferred. Things like this have to be addressed because it's not enough to even get to the point where the highway is no longer standing there and then whoop it up because it's all good and we're moving on and everything's fine. No, that Mm -hmm. is, that is where the real work then starts of getting the community involved and engaged in the reclaiming of this property and understanding how it, it should be used, how it best benefits people, what kind of infrastructure can go in as an alternative to what's there, service enhancements. I mean, there's so many discussions that have to happen after that point, but there are some very real obstacles that have to be overcome. And they're not obstacles that people that are, you know, um, starting activism groups that are very well organized and very well spoken, they also cannot overcome that uh, without some help from our government officials that have to be part of this process. I want to end with a little summary. I've been keeping tally here, okay? Okay. So we're going to do a little pro and con of uh, highways in cities versus no highways in cities. Okay, you ready? So here's the case against. Okay. The case against highways cutting through cities. They are dangerously loud. They cut neighborhoods off from one another. They create tons of impervious surface that can increase uh, flood risk. They have been used to enforce and continue enforcing segregation. They make walking, bicycling, and getting around on wheelchair or other otherwise uncomfortable, if not impossible, in many places. They degrade the areas immediately adjacent to them. They make transit less viable. They incentivize more far-flung development that is unsustainable from an ecological and financial standpoint. We're still on the cons. (laughs) They are wonderful opportunities for debilitating injuries and sudden death. They are massively expensive. They are a drain on the economy wherever they pass through, uh, especially when you compare them to like a human scale street. They increase overall vehicle miles traveled, makes our emissions go up. They encourage more driving than people would otherwise do. They invite congestion, which people hate. (laughs) They are often confusing and stressful to use. And I decided to stop keeping track there. That's a great list. I think we could probably make it twice as long if we spent a few minutes, but I think that hits all the high notes. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that validation. (laughs) Now, uh, let's be fair. The case for... Urban highways. Okay. 
uh, can be a, a kind of jobs program for people who do traffic projections. <laughs> okay. Not just traffic projections, people who work on highways, designing them, constructing them. So that's probably 20, a list of 20 right there that I won't have to go through. Another one. It's uh, just kind of what we've been doing. So that's- is that, a pro, is that a pro, really? Yeah, think about it. You don't have to change anything. Change is very uncomfortable. Okay. And I think we should acknowledge that it's kind of nice to just, you've been streaming a show on Netflix. You just go to the next episode. (laughs) 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 All right. Fortunately, Uh, that doesn't, you know, force me down into debt the way that highways does for cities. We're on the pros list. Oh, sorry. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) All right. uh, Next one. What else are we going to do with all that concrete? Okay. These are, hey, clearly You're reacting don't... <laughs> to my facial expression, which the listeners can't see, fortunately. Um, that, that was it. Oh, okay. All right. I just think it's fair. It's important to be fair and balanced over here. That was about as fair and balanced as some of the things that I've also heard called fair and balanced. <laughs> All right, I've, smart guy. You have any you have any better <laughs> cases for urban highways? I think this is the natural point for us to wrap up. To fade into the <laughs> no sunset. good can come from continuing. We're sorry for making it uh, so interesting and exciting here at the end of the episode. So read the article. It's really worth your time. It's a great piece. As I said earlier, it has lots of references to some of the groups and people that are doing really great work in speaking up about this issue and bringing it to light and begging the questions to be um, confronted that have not been confronted. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think we better leave it there. If you would like to leave us feedback about this episode, make sure that it's positive and <laughs> find us on Twitter at we built it Pod. Please subscribe. Tell your friends about us. Don't leave us a rating or a review. That's lame. That's old school. Just tell a friend. It's free. It's like a free dinner party gift that you could just bring with you. Sayonara. We'll talk to you next time. I'm Jordan. I'm AJ. Yeah, we built it that way. Here it is. Take care. The time is too short, but never too long to reach ahead, to project the image. Which will in time become a concrete